It's episode 77 of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast today, Monday, November 13th. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us today, Matt Morsey, CFP, Investment Team Manager. Welcome. Hey, Danny. Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist. Welcome to you. Thanks, Danny. Well, I guess I'll kick this off and uh, thank listeners for coming back week after week. Please invite your friends. Let's dive in. So, upcoming economic data this week. We have Tuesday's CPI and Small Business Optimism Index. CPI is probably uh, in a downward trend. Hopefully, it'll be lower than expected. Keep the Fed on pause. Wednesday, we have retail sales been strong lately. PPI on a downturn recently. Thursday, initial jobless claims as usual, industrial production. And then Friday, we got building permits and housing starts, and we're heading into sort of this housing economic data period. And obviously, that's all pretty much been turning down since April of 22. So we'll talk more about that, I think, when we get into strength, weaknesses, and so forth. On strengths, what do you got, man? Yeah, I think the biggest one so far, and it's, I think it's a pretty obvious one that we've talked about throughout the year, is that you have certain sectors of the U.S. market that have led and pretty consistently over the year. Notably, those big tech names, the big communication names as well, too. You've got tech and com both up 43% from a sector standpoint this year, discretionary up 25%. S&P itself is only up 13 So those are your huge leaders through that year. In fact, seven of the 11 sectors within the S&P are down for the year. So you're really getting a positive overall performance of the S&P, but it's really narrowed to just a couple sectors. You know, within that, you've got NVIDIA that's up 180%, Meta's up over 150 Amazon, Tesla up over 50 you know, Apple and Microsoft as well, too. Alphabet and Microsoft up as well, too. Apple really is the laggard at only up 30%, you know, and you could say only up 30%, but right. out of those big ones, you know, Apple's really the one that's trailed. And we've really seen those lead, you know, coming off that March low that we had earlier this year. You had the NVIDIA earnings call that released. You had the Fed reverse course a little bit because of the, the bank issues. And from that point on, it's really been tech, com, and discretionary that have taken off. Even with the market pulling back over the last month or two, when we've seen an uptick recently in the market, again, is led by those big names. Something we're going to talk a lot about through this podcast is the big companies versus small companies, but highlighting the strength, those big companies have done really well. Great commentary. The other thing is, in terms of a strength, is the revenue and free cash flow of those companies that will likely be a source of growth going forward if the economy slows down enough that there's always this search for growth, and and it's going to probably bring some resilience or defensiveness to those companies. Another that's kind of a strength or in, in terms of an outlook would be the fact that we're going through an earnings trough. We went through multiple quarters of earnings decline for the broader markets. S&P 500 market weight, that's a different story. Again, related to the Magnificent Seven, but the broader markets and the broader corporate profit trends probably are troughing in here and set to rise despite the concerns about the market falling. So that I put that in the category of, a, of the strengths. We got yields falling, uh, spreads narrowing. I think it was Michael Darda, and I might not have the firm right, MKM, but I heard him make a comment that it's always, always a soft landing before a hard landing. And I, I just found that really interesting, that comment. There's always a soft landing before hard. So if the data turns fast enough, and there's momentum there. No telling what things look like in 24. I'm just saying that that's an interesting observation. But the yields falling and spreads narrowing uh, is means that high yields versus treasury yields, for example, 
are not that wide, and that's usually indicative of a, a relatively growing economy as opposed to one that's going into recession. Now, there might be a reason for that, and I've, I've mentioned this before, is that the risk-free yields might not be so risk-free, and that's why those are higher, and the high yield not rising narrows those spreads and gives this appearance that you know everything is fine in terms of the economic growth picture going forward. We'll see about that. Weaknesses, what do you have for weaknesses? Yeah, so I think the opposite side of the strength that I had, which was your large cap and the, your, your Magnificent Seven have done so well, is that mid-cap and small-cap have not. Mid-cap's up about 1% year-to-date. Small-cap by the Russell 2000s down over 3% year-to-date. So you have this huge divergence between the market cap-weighted S&P 500 and mid-cap and small-cap. And one really easy way to take a look at those differences is by comparing market cap rate versus equal weight. So if you use S SPY is an ETF to represent the S&P 500 market cap. RSP to be an equal cap, equal weight, equal weight of the S&P 500. You've got a 15% gap between those two, and it's the same 500 companies. It's just how are you weighting them in there? So you really have a big divergence there. Now that divergence has gotten wider and wider as throughout the the year. It traded online for about the first three months, and again, going back to March, that really was the defining moment of the year. Is Nvidia and the bank issues that we had because that's really where this whole thing split up and watch that gap get bigger and bigger when you're looking at it from a portfolio standpoint and you're trying to manage risk throughout all that a diversified portfolio although long term is the best way to go really struggled this year when you have that divergence yeah you know that's a great point i i bring that up all the time because you see it in client meetings and that people don't realize that the broader markets are literally flat mm-hmm. even the small caps are slightly negative but then you look over at the S&P market weight, and it's up 14% or whatever. And you're saying, wow, that's a quite the divergence, as you mentioned. And that narrows at some point because it's historically wide. And so that, you know, looking at going forward off of that divergence, and, and a really odd thing is the RSP, the equal weight S&P, is a hard benchmark to beat. That's the one that's really a solid benchmark for S&P returns. And it represents the broader market and the broader economy. The S&P, you can have seven companies represent 50% of their earnings of that index. And yeah, that, in and fact. I, I, and corporate profits as a whole are what link the economy to the market. You say, what's the market? Well, the market, if you put, them, put three of them together, Dow Jones, Russell 2000, small caps, S&P equal weight, that's a better representation of the market's reflection of what's going on in the economy in the future. That's completely flat. And so the problem is, is you got, you know, meetings and you're looking at returns, whether it's any of these firms. And you say, wow, I'm looking at my equity returns and they're not looking too great. Well, that's because the broader market's completely flat. Yeah. In fact, just looking at the top 10 companies within the S&P from a market cap standpoint, look at their performance. They've had over 130% of that return this year. So not only do they have all the upside of the market, but they're actually covering a lot of that downside that you see in a lot of other, a lot of other areas of that market. You know, what's really important about that is that clients aren't going to have 9% of their money in NVIDIA. They're not going to have 9% of their money in, and they're not going to have half their stocks in those seven. You know, that's just the the nature and principle of diversification. It, it's, no, you know, nobody in there that's managing money for others is going to concentrate a portfolio like that. So that's the problem when you're in an environment like that. We've been through this multiple times, but you stay the course with that broader market approach and the diversification and then throw in their emerging markets, uh, international, et cetera. You're going to come out fine long-term. You're on a steadier path 
less risk, but people miss the less risk part when they peek over at the S&P market weight index and it's up 14. They, they forget the, the reduced risk of that diversified portfolio. Well, it's easy to forget the time periods where the opposite has worked significantly better. Correct. So right now the S&P market cap weight has done extremely well. You go back to the 2000s and it went basically nowhere for a decade and the rest of the world is what outperformed and especially emerging markets cons- considerably that there's that other side of the of that coin. Right now we're on one side and it's really easy to look back and go, well, we should always just be S&P 500 only market cap weight. However, most of the time periods, that's not gonna be your best performer. Right, like I said, that S&P equal weight, that's a hard benchmark to beat, and that's a good benchmark. The one last point on weaknesses, and we'll get on to opportunities, is that I always make this, we're still in a bear market. You know, there was this thought that, well, we come off 20% off the bottom or 15% or uh, off the bottom. Well, the peak in the market was January 3rd of 22, and we've been below that and, and bouncing around, what I say, bouncing around at the bottom. These are arbitrary definitions, these percent changes, whether it's correction 10%, bear market 20%, or a bull market rally at 20 You know, These are arbitrary. And I never was convinced we're out of that bear market. And when you combine, this is important, for I think, for clients to, to know and see when it comes to their equity returns, you combine last year's market returns, which were generally minus 13 to minus 20 because it was a bad year with this year that's basically zero minus two to plus two you're in a two-year bear market but you're near the end of it in my opinion because you're also going to it's going to coincide with this earnings recovery at some point here but you're no doubt and this is a bit of a cliche because i hear it all the time on the radio when do we not have my response is always when do we not have volatility but but the point i want to make is this is a, a roller coaster in the next five years on stocks and it you know requires active management of those equities yeah, I think that's a great time to switch over to opportunity because, you know, a lot of times over these last two years, when you're talking about the bear market that we've been in and the choppiness of that market, you know, one of the big stories of that time period is what's happening to the 60-40? Is that portfolio dead? You know, is that an allocation we can't have anymore? And what really people are getting to is fixed income. Can you invest in fixed income? Is there a return there? You've been getting hammered on the bond side over the last two years. In fact, the aggregate bond index over that time period is still negative. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we've had bad returns there overall from a market perspective. But really, what that's providing as yields have come up is the opportunity of that right. portfolio going forward. Uh, you could easily think of looking at yield to maturity on a bond of what your your best expected return is going forward for for that for that bond. And when you have a ten year that touching five percent, four six ish, you know, right now we're looking at that. That's a good indicator of what you have. And if you've got that building block that you know what you're going to get at from a yield perspective and have the potential for capital appreciation there if the Fed does have to reverse course and start cutting, there's a lot of opportunity in that 40 that's going to be able to propel right. those returns going forward. Man, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's a great explanation, and I got we don't have enough time to talk about it, but that 60-40, I hear over and over again, 60-40, Dad, and I'm like, that 40 is going to come in to help you in the next five years because those yields are north of 5%. And to your point, the yield to maturity, what's important, that the segment, there's a couple of things going on right now, but you look at your returns year to date, and you're looking at a segment of a period that's in between the start date of that bond and the end date of those bonds. You're looking at just a segment, and it happens to be a time when the returns are negative, but there are times when the returns are positive, which leads to the other 
clarification of a point you made was if the year ended today, we'd have three consecutive years of down year in the bond market. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not the only one that says it. I think I was the only one that originally thought of it. No, I'm just kidding. But the um, point is that three negative years, you typically only have one mm-hmm. bad year in bonds. But what are the subsequent years? I can tell you the exact numbers, but it probably wouldn't fly through compliance. The point is they're really good. And so you you just have to look at historical returns year by year on the aggregate bond index to know what I'm talking about. But now we got three straight years of bad years in bonds. Yeah, and, th- and the following is, is going to be good. To your point, people should realize what's the yield to maturity on the bonds they hold. We're only looking at a segment of 11, uh, 10 months and one week year to date, or take a year and 10 months and, you know, and so forth. But think about the fact that you hold the bonds longer term, you're getting higher yields now. Yeah, and I think especially when you think for people who are still in accumulation mode, that they are still working, contributing to a 401k, still putting money into And you've had this whole time period to add to those accounts, to buy on the way down, or even to buy right. in a choppy market, where you're just adding more and more shares at the same price or lower prices, where your your end return is going to be so much higher because you had this time period to put that money in. That's been a question that's come up in our Ask Annex segment a lot, is whether or not this time period... You know, should people be concerned? Should people be upset? Should people be worried about that? But really what it is is a time period to get more money in to focus on your savings. So you're buying more and more at that lower price or that stagnant price so that when prices come back up again, your return is, is going to be significantly higher. Right. And that's a great point to the, the, the thing I always say is the market's a barometer of what's going on underneath, good or bad. It's the same animal it was 80 years ago just different circumstances underneath geopolitically and economically. I think we better move on to threats, and I can kick that off. Last week, we had an uptick in unemployment. It was a bit of a surprise. If unemployment is, goes over 4%, as the Fed projects for 2024, it usually doesn't stop there. There's momentum and so forth, and it's part of the natural business cycle that unemployment would even go higher. Now, there's this rule of thumb that if unemployment goes up, you know, half a percent from that 3.4 back in April and January, that that's when you're, you know, you're going to have problems. Well, if we're 0.3 of the 0.5 on the way there, <laughs> it's not that far away that we're going to go over 4% and possibly keep going. If that happens, this is a threat, not a warning. It's a threat that you're going to have this filter through the rest of the economy and you'll see it in the wage growth, which is what's underpinning the economy recently. Got another? Yeah, I'd say other threats that we need to be able to watch out for is there's you know a couple of them and they're more political in nature. So we've got the geopolitical side of things of escalation or potential escalation within Israel and also with Russia and Ukraine. What are the implications of that from a supply chain standpoint? What about oil prices, which have come down quite a bit, you know, after spiking after the initial attack in Israel? But how do oil prices react to that? Um, Saudi Arabia has come out recently and talked about how there is demand has not gone down and if you hear people saying that, that that they're just factually you know incorrect on that and that oil likely is probably range bound and we're on the lower side of that range i think Correct. there's a lot of potential upward pressure on a, a barrel of oil so watching what happens there as a reflection of what's happening in israel um, but also it's a barometer too when you're looking at demand or economic strength as well too those those might play against each other if we have a slowing economy here that might reduce demand but 
we're going to want to watch that supply demand dynamic. Another one from a political standpoint is, you know, we're not that far away from when the government needs to continue funding itself. And with a new speaker of the House in from a GOP side, you know, how is that person going to navigate an environment that the last speaker got kicked out because of a deal that he made? Avoid a shutdown. Exactly. And what are the ramifications there? So we don't invest based off of political thought process and what you believe from political standpoint, but it's important to watch what's going on in Washington and across the world and see how that could impact what the markets are going to do and make changes that way. Yeah, and then it ties in looking way out ahead to the election next year and how markets will trade depending on, you know, who's if there's a strong probability of one party or another taking over or being reelected, that that ties in with the volatility of the market. Market can stay relatively low volatility if there's a lot of uncertainty, believe it or not. If it there is not that much uncertainty and you know somebody else is a shoe in, then it's gonna trade based on economic fundamentals. Let's put a bow on it and go around the room and talk about some headlines. Headline strength. I would say is probably the potential earnings improvement. Headline weakness. Mid cap, small cap stocks underperforming the journal market. Headline opportunity. 60, 40, and a 40 is a good risk-adjusted return. And what's our headline threat? Rising unemployment. Annex Wealth Management, SWAT Podcast. This is episode 77. Matt Morsey, investment team manager, thanks. Thank you. Todd Voigt, chief investment strategist, thank you. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.